Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, an outstanding journalist and contributor at News One. We invite you to check her out at NewsOne.com. Not the first time she's been with us, but she's going to bring us up to date on a whole host of things i was just saying to her we're going to put a good work today on make it plain anoa changa joins us now anoa welcome back to make it plain thank you for having me mark it's a pleasure to have you here with us so a few things going on that you've written about and i want to start um with this tennessee state representative uh, justin lafferty he he's trying to he was trying to revise the history of of the three-fifths compromise, correct? Yeah. I mean, we've been seeing this onslaught with Republican elected officials at multiple levels of government in terms of rewriting um, history. And, and some of it's in backlash directly to the 1619 project that we saw a release by Nicole Hannah-Jones with uh, the New York Times. and But there's this effort to, 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 to refuse to not only allow um, in a more expanded and inclusive version of history be taught in our schools, whether uh, we're talking about K through 12, or even um, some, some states have tried to take aim at what public colleges and universities can even teach and instruct on around a whole host of things. We've also seen folks taking aim at critical race theory without a real understanding of what critical race theory even is and applies to. So specifically in this instance, this is the second Republican elected official in the past like month and a half or so, there was a state rep back in, I think last month or in early or late March in Colorado that did the same thing, trying to defend or minimize what the three-fifths compromise actually did. And for those who aren't familiar, it might be, have been a while since you had civics in school, but the three-fifths compromise basically was a compromise that allowed for uh, states that held enslaved Africans to allow them to count 
towards their representation in Congress. So uh, enslaved Africans would count as three fifths of a whole person. And that was a compromise that was made at the outset. Um, when we think about this is a year where we're gonna have redistricting and censusing, we've seen all the news about who's picking up what seats in Congress. This is what that directly applied to and allowing for enslaved Africans who otherwise had no actual rights in civil society under the way that things were existing at the time the constitution was created to then count towards the representation that Southern states or states that held slaves would have gave them outsized power. So to say that it had no purpose or it was only purpose was to end slavery is, is the opposite. It allowed Southern states, it, it was an appeasement, right, to create the union. Like this was an appeasement process to allow Southern states to feel like they had power and say so in the union, just as we saw there were compromises made over the next 70 or 80 so years after the three-fifths compromise was created you know, to appease, to continue to appease slaveholding states until we saw uh, the outcome in the, the Civil War. So this rewriting of history has been, it has been, I mean, when you think about it, it's actually been happening a long time. The battles over textbooks, when you think about places like Texas in particular, um, and, and whether or not you can allow things like Chicano studies or, or African-American or Black studies programs and things of that nature. I mean, these are battles that have been happening, but it's being taken to a really new level. And the intellectual dishonesty that is happening in denying a part of whether it's a, a history people are not proud of, I mean, understandably so why you would not be proud of it, but to try and deny or lie or distort is a completely different level. We also saw this recently in the, in the Texas voting rights debate where they may not have been revising history, but they weren't aware of it. And it took another lawmaker to point out, you know, what were the old Texas laws when it came to voter suppression? It seems that they've decided I mean, th there's a total collective enabling on the right on the right wing side, Anoa, to just lie and make yeah. up things. And they have major media networks with two or three now that will promote the lie and the propaganda. Donald Trump won. Um, we the South didn't lose the Civil War. I mean, it's, it's almost to the point of, of being clinical. Isn't it? And I know you're working on um, I'm going to just jump ahead to your upcoming piece since it's related to this, the three fifths. You're working on a big piece on on voting rights and voter suppression. Um, but again, th isn't this something they really have no other card to play but to lie and make stuff up and try to miseducate the population. Right. And that goes back to when we think back to the Civil War and the period of Reconstruction, the period after that. Right. Like this is a historical strategy that we've seen, um, you know, folks taken and whether or not people have flipped parties. When we saw the historic hearing that actually happened recently around voting rights and these voting rights bills in particular in Georgia, um, we, we had Republican senators getting upset about people comparing it to Jim Crow, about calling these pro these things racist. And, and well, it was really Democrats who were really racist way back when. I mean, regardless of who was in control, who was more racist than whomever, what we do know right now is that we have continued to see the same exact tactics employed. So we know that we talk about like the lost cause ideology in this romanticizing of what the South, what the Confederacy stood for and were fighting for. Um, and, and, and through media like Birth of a Nation and um, other other movies and articles 
schools and things of that nature that came after um, the Reconstruction era that justify the actions that were being taken take by predominantly Southern states and the Northern complicity, right? Like we, 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 we are part of also, I think the way more liberal institutions or individuals feed into this type of mentality of this divisiveness is that we act like the North was somehow or, or other states that were not initially uh, a slave holding states are somehow um, ethically better or morally better when there were there were other issues like in, in, in the entirety of the United States of America, the entrenched white supremacy that undergirds so much of, you know, policy making, decision making, there's a consistent through line from, you know, these past periods. So when we're talking about, as you mentioned in Texas, where they were using language, um, I'm forgetting exact language about like purity at the polls or, or, or things of that nature, that has a very particular historic meaning and, and, and history in terms of keeping people out of processes. I mean, even when we're looking at, and, and folks will say, well, it's just giving people water at the polls. It's not so much that it's just about giving people water, whether people can get water or comfort when they're standing in line. These provisions that are comparing nonpartisan, this is nonpartisan activity by nonprofit, mostly black and Latino led organizations around the country that are alleviating a condition while also trying to help inspire civic engagement. Because if you are a person in a community and you don't know whether it's worth your time to vote and you see ridiculously long lines, you're not going to be bothered. Like, what's the point? Like, I'm not doing that. I got to go to work. I got to do it. So it's not just about what the people voting in line and allowing seeding ground to the other side and allowing them to make it seem like, oh, this is about buying votes. No one is buying votes with a bottle of water. Let's be real. We just had here in the state of Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp signed into law a bill that allows for a limit political donations. So he signed a bill into law that's going to allow him to raise tons of money, more than he could have raised in his in his, in his first election for re-election, right? We're talking about buying votes. I mean, these are things that we're talking about are the real issues, but they're, they're, they're doing things that are attacking, you know, uh, uh, organizers of color in particular, and people who are trying to make sure that we have expanded access to democracy, not that we're giving access to democracy to people who quote unquote don't deserve it. I mean, by virtue of being a citizen in this country, going back to our conversation around a three fifths compromise and why that provision, the subsequent 13, 14, 15th amendments are so important and crucial to our understanding of what's going on now is that they are trying to rewrite, walk around and restrict access to the ballot based on what we saw in terms of amazing turnout and what was otherwise a very stressful and awful year. We were in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, there's so much going on and we exceeded, we exceeded expectations. And so this is a backlash directly. And that's what Jim Crow was. Jim Crow was a backlash to what we saw, you know, newly freed Black folks who were ex exercising their political authority, power and will across the South, across the country. And we saw a huge backlash to that. That's what we're experiencing now. So when we're saying Jim, when people are saying Jim Crow 2.0 and people start getting into the weeds, like, well, oh, it's not exactly this and it's not exactly that. We're seeing laws, we're seeing lies being pushed and passed and built into the process to prohibit Black and other folks of color and other folks who want to align and roll with us from being able to build politically and move the needle on issues that matter to all of us. And one of the reasons that's happening is because of some of the newfound power we're gaining. Um, as manifested in three of your most recent articles, now it's appropriate, uh, all three of these most recent articles center around black women in positions of power. Uh, I can't remember last time I went on the website and saw something like that. All right, just just story about 
black woman in power story about a black woman in power story about a black woman in power beautiful thing wonderful and it's appropriate too because this is a couple days after day or so after mother's day more mip after this message but let's start with letitia james i'm here in new york of course all of us are counting on her to utterly vanquish Trump and his empire uh, and put him in prison. That's what we are. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. But she did something last week that was pretty significant. And again, it, it, it relates to what these Republicans are doing, because with revisionist history, Anoa, you also have this is an era and a moment of disinformation, absolute mm -hmm. disinformation, uh, whether it's on social media, targeting the black community or whether it's robocalls targeting yep. black community. And that's something else we've been dealing with for some time. And and you wrote about Letitia trying to do something about that. Yeah. So that's, this is actually a broad case. And so I'm trying to think of it was in Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, somewhere like in, in the midterm elections, this happened, something similar like this happened, robocalls going out, targeting of uh, folks. But what we're talking about this, this recent case, so New York Attorney General Letitia James, one, it has, is always with it. Like, I mean, she will go for what needs to happen to protect people of the state of New York. And really some of the work that she does actually has a wider impact on folks across the country. And so in this instance, you have two right-wing provocateurs who were engaged in voter suppressive tactics, using this information through robocalls, attacking specifically vote by mail and targeting predominantly Black communities in New York, but also in Detroit. It's for that there were also calls made in Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, like uh, it was a several different states that this happened in. Reportedly, Detroit, I think, um, Michigan's uh, Secretary of State, I think has also maybe moved on uh, action or not their Secretary of State, their Attorney General, I think moved action on this as well. But what they did was they they had someone who, you know, sounded black doing this robocall saying that, you know, you don't want to vote by mail because you're going to give them your information and they're going to use your information so debt collectors can get at you the CDC is going to target you. Like it was basically all these fear tactics to try and get people from using vote by mail, which we know most of us did not use vote by mail absentee ballots prior to uh, the pandemic. And we also know the way in which this was an organizing tactic, especially to get black voters to, to, to use what was this, what was thought to be a safer method of voting given the nature of the pandemic last year. And so this also, according to what with the filing that Tish James had with the Southern District Court of New York. So there's a lawsuit that was already filed in terms of violations, but with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and the Law and another law firm represented a, a class of Black voters. And they found, or their argument is that this violated the Ku Klux Klan Act and several other provisions. And this was an attempt to actually interfere with people's ability to vote, to stop people, to prevent people from being able to vote. And I mean, we also saw there was a... Um, I want to say also might have been out of New York as well. There were criminal charges. This is a separate thing, but folks were using social media targeting in a separate case a few months ago, uh, social media targeting towards black voters to try and get them to text their vote in. So they were trying to tell people that you could text your vote if you use this text code and avoid lines altogether. So this is a part of a larger deceptive practice. And to your point, Mark, about uh, disinformation, disinformation has is really a civil rights issue. I mean, I know we haven't been thinking about it that way, particularly the way we all came to know of disinformation more so from the, the Russian interference um, conversation after 2016. But what we're seeing, even, even then when it was shown that there was hyper-targeting towards Black voters and Black communities, 
opportunities. The fact that people are trying to intentionally obstruct with, you know, the voting block that is the most reliably democratic voting block, that a voting block that has historically had to fight every single cycle nonstop for their right to access the ballot, it does elevate it beyond just the information concern or the free speech concern that some people may have around it. And it really does get to this broader issue. And so she is attempting to intervene in this lawsuit on behalf of the state of New York to also bring penalties and that are that is under the purview of her office. And so that's actually something that we need to see more of. Like we need elected officials like Tish James who are um you know, actually advocating for not just the truth to be told to people, but like that people are following the law in these instances and not obstructing the vote. Unlike here in other places, um, you know, here in Georgia, Texas, other places, we have attorney generals who are actively uh, supporting and engaging in this fear mongering and disinformation. You know, you're right. And something has to be done. That Shout out to Tish for standing up. Also, Corey Bush doing something um, as an African-American woman that is also significant. She was uh, giving testimony about her struggles during uh, childbirth and talking about black maternal health. And she used gender inclusive language. And people are focusing on that and attacking her for that and not focusing on the real issue she brought forward and that's black maternal health. Yep. And and so, I mean, earlier on, you you just said it was amazing to see these stories back to back like that. So that that's a credit and shout out to the editorial staff at News One that has assigned me pieces and allowed me to, to do this coverage and their own timing and the way they do stuff over there. So but but this this story with, with Corey Bush, you know, that was a, that was a story that was flagged and, and was you know assigned to me. And so just looking at like what the what the what, what was going on, I mean, you know, there was a lot of attacking of Corey Bush for the statements the use of gender inclusive. She said, I think it was birthing people or birthing persons or some language like that, because recognizing black, that black birthing people, black birthing people. Black yeah. birthing people. That's also a phrase and terminology that was used by Dr. Joya uh Creer Perry in her uh written testimony and oral testimony as well. Um Dr. Creer Perry is the founder and president of National Birth Equity, which is a part of birthing justice and you know reproductive justice organized spaces. And she's also on the board for, uh, I think it's the Black Maternal Health Week. So like there are these layers and there are these spaces that people are organizing and building in and also recognizing that having gender inclusive language does not denigrate or take away from the experiences of cisgender women. But at the same time, it recognizes that we have individuals who may not identify as a cisgender woman, but who also do go through childbirth and have birthing experiences who are also having difficulty in terms of their care because that is not being recognized recognized and identified. And so Representative Bush, being a true representative of the people, you know, saw fit to include that language and to update the verbiage as she was explaining. And like she pointed out, folks were more worried about the use of this phraseology that does not exclude or denigrate or take away anyone's experiences than the fact that Black birthing people are having these various different struggles. I mean, one thing that I found fascinating by Dr. Carrera Perry's testimony, reading through the written testimony, was when she was noting the other different things around, like a part of our lives that impact the birthing process. One thing she noted was climate change, that Black birthing people are, I think it was two times more likely to be exposed 
exposed to severe weather, severe heat in particular, and therefore more likely to have to go to the hospital in their in their third trimester. So there are these other impacts. I mean, there are several folks who have done work and do organizing around, you know, whether it's Black mamas, Black birth and folks generally, um, who are incarcerated, right? And just the experiences that people are have. And even though we do have, you know, laws and guidances that say people should not be shackled during childbirth, the fact that in some instances that is still occurring. So there are these things that exist. We should be focused on people's health, wellness, and well-being and not worried about whether or not someone said a word that we didn't particularly care for. Yeah. Well, and, and it was educational. Some things you say in a position like her is that educate people who yeah. otherwise are not familiar or sensitized to the terminology. Yeah. So when you say black birthing people, they mix black folks or women. Who's she talking about? And say, oh, of course, you know that that's a, that's a broader perspective and range of people that normally aren't represented. And uh, I, I applaud her for doing that because you know we're we're all facing sometimes double, triple oppression. One being black, but then you add the other check boxes: woman or or trans or anything else. By the time you finish, you've been checked off three or four times as someone who is eligible for oppression and discrimination just because of one yeah. of those categories. Put three or four of them together. And of course, and she's right. I mean, she's talking about black birth and folk, but it's it, it, black birth and folk. But shoot, I go to the doctor as a black man. Ain't nothing wrong with you. That's your imagination. Uh, that's, a, that's a very real issue. Like in my own checkup recently with my doctor, um, he was even talking to me about I'm a black woman, but my father also goes to the same doctor. And so we were just talking about just black men's health and some of the ways that he's he's my doctor's Indian. And he was just talking about ways he's been thinking about how to try and reach more black men in his practice. Because we were just talking about even just how difficult it was to get my dad to go to the doctor as educated and understanding and knowledgeable my dad is about health and wellness. It's still a challenge because like you just said, our experience are discounted. I mean, as a black woman, I don't necessarily, it's the same thing, like, right? Our, you're not really in pain. You don't really need this. There's nothing really wrong with you. There are all these different layers that go that go into it. And then we just, we know, same thing we've talked about with, with COVID-19 hesitancy. We know that there are just issues within the medical system that have not treated us as a people properly or with respect as human beings. And so there are those blockages and barriers and it does take time and um, not just simply education, but outreach. Reach and, and building trust with communities to get them to be able to seek uh, uh, that attention. But the, back to what Representative Bush was talking about, I mean, she's literally talking about people who are, you know, struggling or nearly dying. I mean, her specific story is extremely gut-wrenching. Yeah. You think about, you know, one of her children being born so early that they basically just told her, like, you just need to give up. There's no reason to, to, to worry. And she had a sister throw a chair because of just how she was being treated in the process. And when you think about childbirth, I mean, this is one of, yes, it's a joyous time to have children, but childbirth is an excruciating, I have two teenagers and it is an excruciating process. It is physically, emotionally, and mentally a distressing process to bring someone else into this world. And so when you have medical officials and professionals and support people who are supposed to be there to help you, inform you, guide you, and to, you know, nurture this process, who are actually hindering or being, you know, or they're making decisions that put your life in danger because they're not listening. That that just adds and compounds the stress. And we have people who are actually dying in childbirth at this desperate numbers because they are black. And that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the problem, not not her using exclusive inclusive language. We may not like it. That's fine. You don't like it. But that's not the problem, though. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. More MIP after this message. 
Also, another sister who's in the headlines at News One, Kim Fox, the Cook County State's attorney. This is uh, a little bit different. And this is great reporting on Black women, Black women in power and leadership. But as I always say, you know, one of the reasons we struggle around diversity and leadership is men, particularly white men, have always made mistakes. Let's let some other folk have yeah. a chance to make some mistakes, too. That's another part of it. It's not about just being empowered to be perfect. But to be able to make mistakes, mm-hmm. acknowledge them and learn from them as well. It's a different kind of mistake. It's fresh. Oh, if here's somebody who looks like us making a mistake for a change. All right. I, we can deal with that. So she's acknowledging uh, her office's, um, um, I guess, um, uh, she calls it confusion when it comes to the Adam Toledo case. Uh, the young man um, that was shot by in well, it was in March, actually, I believe. Mm-hmm. by the Chicago police and another brutal mer- murder by the Chicago police. She's she's owning uh, owning up to her office's role in, in this, right? Mm-hmm. And which is also rare, I think, um, in terms of p- people, prosecutors, like making this type of announcement. I mean, also because the statement by an assistant U.S. attorney, or not U.S. attorney, assistant state's attorney in her office during a hearing that was related to the incident, but not directly you know, on point, it did give an impression that was then reported out that Adam Toledo, who was a 13 year old who was killed. And we, what we later found when, when video evidence was released, you know, had actually did not had his hands up, had been complying, but the way the, the, the attorney gave testimony or, or presented his argument in a bond hearing for the 21 year old that Adam was with, that gave the impression that Adam had actually had a gun in his hand and then was shot by a police officer. I mean, there, there's a time skip in there. It might, it's still short in terms of the time that this is all happening, but it, it is notice it is important. Um, but for their purposes and what they explained in their internal investigation report was that for their purposes, it was because they were trying to establish, I think it was like third degree child endangerment, I think was the charge. And they were trying to establish that this other person had, in fact, allowed this child to have a gun and did cause the, the harm, you know, was the proximate cause of the harm that happened to this child. And so that was just all they were trying to get get through. But never really taken in consideration that how it could be perceived because, you know, there's press, there's other people who are witnessing what's happening since it's related to the, sh- the killing of this, of this 13 year old. And so some of the things that they found out was that one, what, what the attorney presented to a supervising attorney as how they were handling this is not the same thing as what was actually said in court. Um, that attorney also had not actually been fully, I guess, supervised before entering court or didn't have their stuff reviewed properly before hand. Um, a senior uh, a attorney in the office did resign. Um, she was responsible for more of the day-to-day uh, advising for the state's attorney's office. And, and they're going to they're gonna start, they're going to do some other training and stuff. I mean, one of the questions I do have though, and I, I hope, you know, um, um, state's attorney Kim Fox does seem to have been, you know, relatively responsive, particularly con- con- when you consider she replaced Anita Alvarez, who was complicit in uh, the, the cover-up around the murder of Laquan McDonald. Um, you know, back several years ago. I mean, this case in many ways is reminiscent for folks of what happened with Laquan McDonald. So that's why some of the fast paced movement was happening. But that confusion that she, you know, that she mentions, like the language that that attorney was using, it was very clearly not considering that this was like that one case, like the bond hearing for um, the person, the 21 year old, it was a part of a larger overall investigation and process and did not have the consideration and just wasn't clear. Like it was, it was careless and it was not clear. Like 
in terms of this, the, the, the series of events that happened, um, and it gave the impression that Adam, whether it was intentional or not, the impact was that it, it, it signaled to folks that Adam was more than likely armed at the time that police shot him, which we know uh, they try to use that as justification for why they kill people. But in fact, because of uh, video evidence that was released, body cam evidence that was released, it shows that the, that the young, um, not young man, 13 year old Adam had his hands up at the time that he was he was shot by an officer and you're right it's rare that you see someone come forward in that way and and be transparent so that's good we welcome that those type of examples we want to set um lastly another black woman story you've not written about it yet but since you're in atlanta i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you what are your thoughts about keisha lance bottoms <laughs> and her not running again what's up <laughs> I mean, I I keep my ear to the ground with folks in the community and movement folks. I I hear the mayor when she talks about how much money she's raised and she has raised quite a bit already and you know her record and where she positioned. I I still wonder what's really driving, I mean, to be in such a good position as she has presented, what's really driving the desire to not run for um, a second term. Few people run for just simply one term. Even with President Biden, I mean, I I think a lot of us thought that he was only going to be, you know, the, the president to stabilize things and then we move on. And there's some some indication that he plans on running for a second term. So I find it uh, interesting that she's not running again. Um, I don't think that her record is as sound and strong and sturdy as she presents. And I also don't think that it would be as sure fire because she's already being challenged by uh, Felicia Moore, who is our city council president. I believe there's another black woman that is entering the race, a, a lawyer here. Um, but there are a lot of things that are still left undone, there, there are some concerns that folks have about the increase in, in not just um, funding, but adding police. I mean, people have issues. She gave a great speech last year during uprisings here in Atlanta, but at the same time, her police officers were on the, on the city streets brutalizing people. We witnessed HBCU students be pulled out of a moving car and, 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 and beat. Um, we also you know, had legal observers, among other folks who were trying to adhere to curfew and get to their cars, you know, be arrested and detained as well. So there are lingering issues. We still have legal observers with um, the, the National Lawyers Guild um, here um, that have not had their charges dropped. So there there are there are some issues. Um, but but you know I, I hope whatever she does next. And some folks wonder if she's thinking about trying to run for a statewide election. That would actually be interesting to see how she would um, hold up if she were to, to run statewide. But I mean I think and I appreciate I think she said something about being you know understand that criticism comes with the role and it does. Um, and the city of Atlanta is a very complex place to be. I mean, it means a lot to black people, but at the same time, there are a lot of struggles with the way that the city tries to balance, um, I guess, being a black city, but also being a comfortable city to white elites and business individuals. So there's a lot of tension happening here. So it's going to be an interesting mayoral election to watch whether she was in it or not. And now with her out of it, it's going to be an open field. And, and it's really going to be interesting to see who rises to the top and how people are raising and who gets behind who. Is Atlanta at risk of gaining a white mayor? Um, it could. Um, I mean, I think that that is a possibility, but I think at the same time, like I said, um, Felicia Moore, who's a city council uh, uh, president, is a black woman. She has a pretty good reputation and rapport with folks across, you know, lines. I mean, to some, some, some. Folks have, you know, expressed uh, concern that she's a little leaning a little too into tough on crime. 
only because of, you know, some of the issues we've seen coming out of Buckhead. But at the same time, I think that, you know, more so than Atlanta getting a white mayor, Atlanta needs a mayor that isn't going to allow Black folks to continue to be pushed to the margins and out of the city, because we have a lot of that happening in many places around the country. We have Black people who are being pushed to the margins or pushed to, I mean, pushed to the margins and literally being pushed across the boundaries of cities that their families have been in for generations. And so we want Atlanta to continue to thrive and be a place for everyone to be in. But we also want, you know, a, 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 a you know, generational Atlantans to still be able to be here. So I definitely understand and appreciate the conversation of keeping, I mean, Atlanta has had black mayors for about 50 years or so, and that's like a really powerful legacy. But at the same time where we're trying to, you know, adhere to history and legacy, we need to make sure that we're actually taking care of the needs of people and making sure that there's opportunity that's spread around for everyone. Very well said, very well put. Uh, so I, I, I added another story to Judy Wright yet. So we got it all in. Another <laughs> folks, definitely working hard today and earning her keep. We got a lot. I'm, I'm trying my best, but shout out to the editorial team because they're the ones that let me, you know, yeah. do this stuff over there as a contributor. So yeah. Well, we welcome all you're doing. We look forward to reading more of what you're doing. Check out Anoa Shanga, folks. She is uh, at News One, uh, NewsOne.com. You can see all of her stories uh, there and and the Twitter handle too, real quick. At the way with Anoa, so at the way with Anoa, and that's the podcast too, right? That is the podcast. It's been in hiatus because you know the pandemic was just right. a little wild, but we'll be right. coming back soon with new episodes. Looking forward to that. So, folks, follow uh, Anoa, the way with Anoa on Twitter as well. Keep up with everything she's doing. Be fully informed. Anoa, we thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.